Father, we ask you to work in and through us now. Pour out your spirit on us, the spirit of Jesus on us and in us. Give us new hearts, those hearts that are promised in the prophet Ezekiel. We pray that you produce in us fruit in keeping with repentance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I visited my old school a few years back and was taken to the archives. And there I saw a few things that were presented to me uh, that got me thinking about our text today. I saw some things that motivated me back then, some photographs of people I admired, some awards that I received, not many, and some people that genuinely motivated me, some school teachers. And uh, looking back over those things, they were genuinely motivating and they, were, they pushed me on. They were quite powerful things in hindsight, hindsight, defining for me, really. And then the archivist found a dark spot. It was the senior master's corporal punishment register 1980 to 84, for the Stranger Things fans among us, this is my era. I was there riding my bike to school like they do in Stranger Things. Uh, this is the caning book. They phased it out soon after I left school. I think the state schools had already banned it. But here it is. Here's the record. I cut and pasted this from the archivist. 19th of July, 1984, Jay Moffat gross misbehavior in class. Two strokes, Doug Carlos. How I would like to meet with him now. I maintain that it was a mistake, a gaffe, really. Uh, I promise never to call teacher, a teacher such names again. It got me thinking, why do we avoid the bad things that we do that we know are wrong? You know, a caning will do it for a few minutes, why do we, and more importantly, why do we pursue the good things that we believe are right to do? And I'm talking about motivation here. I'm talking about what's going on in the heart. Is love the right motivator? We'd love it to be love. Is fear a motivator? Or is it reward or duty or habit? Or is it shame? Shame's a motivator, an anti-motivator. Was it thankfulness? I take it that human beings are quite complex and it wouldn't surprise me if at the base of it all we had a mixture of these motivations. However, today I'm here to announce good news, a gospel for those who follow Jesus Christ, namely that we have a nuanced and powerful answer to the question of motivation. And it has to do with what I'm calling the agriculture of the soul, fruit we have an answer with its roots in the Torah, the Jewish scriptures, the story of God and the failure of God's people to obey the commands that were given to them. We have an answer that has a foundation in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and in the power of the Spirit, God present and a work in your life. We've been maintaining throughout this series in Galatians that a follower of Jesus is truly free. If the sun sets you free, said Jesus, you'll be free indeed or the beginning of our text today, you, my sisters and brothers, were called to be free. But we asked last week, how is this true? How can this be true? We aren't free in all respects, and we all know it. No one is. Remember last week, I told you about that guy, Bill. Remember him? He felt like when he was a young believer, 15 years old, he was sold a pup with respect to freedom. You know, when he became a Christian, it was all about freedom and grace, what God has done for him, not what he does for God. 
therefore about relationship, not about religion. It was all about unconditional love because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But he said that as he got older as a Christian, he discovered that there were conditions. He, he called them conditions. You had to tell the truth. You couldn't have an unbridled greed. You couldn't sleep with somebody you weren't married to. You couldn't get drunk. You couldn't do what you wanted. Uh, he wanted to be captain of his own soul. He wanted to be free, and he thought the Christians weren't free. Remember that? Remember how I said last week that I told him that I was sorry that he was misinformed that a follower of Jesus, free as they are, must be shaped by Jesus. They must discover the will of God and yield even their own desires to the desires of God. Being a Christian requires repentance and a new life, and it's hard. But you know, that's, it's, that's just true. You become a Christian, there's obligations to follow, to obey. And so last week we asked the question, how is all this compatible with freedom? And this week I'm asking, is there such a thing as free obedience? How, how would it come about? Paul has a profound answer to that question, and it's about the agriculture of the soul. Paul has a thesis in verses 13 through 18, and the thesis is that there are two realms that each person on planet Earth can live in and under. The realm, A, of the flesh, and with it, coming from that space, the works of the flesh, we'll come to that in a moment, and B, the realm of the spirit, and with this, the fruit of the spirit. This one comes from below, this one comes from above. And every person on planet Earth, Paul would maintain, is living in one or other of these two realms. Verse 13, Paul says, you're called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That will be living by, or in the flesh. In other words, mere human desires. We talked about this last week in Ezekiel, in, in the prophet Isaiah. The prophet bemoans the, the people of Israel for not relying on God, but for relying on, on, on deals with Egypt and on horses. He says, but the horses are flesh. They're not spirit. Rely on me. You know, um, trust me from above, not human being, mere humans from below. So Paul says, we need to use the freedom that you have, and you have the freedom, but use it to be slaves of one another in love. We discussed that paradox last week. Why do it? Because God always wanted it. Torah summed up this command, and the upshot for the Galatians is, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other, which comes with its own slavery, really, um, anybody who's been involved in an, in an imploding Christian community with backbiting and, and slander and gossip and factions, you know what a slavery it is, a hot dumpster mess of destruction and pain. Lord, spare us. In the text that we have for today, it begins in verse 16, and Paul gives them a challenge. If there's a realm of the Spirit, live by the Spirit. If there's a realm of the flesh, don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Live, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, let me show you on the screen in yellow, literally in the Greek, walk by the Spirit, because that's what we do. We follow Jesus on our journey of life. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's the challenge for all followers of Jesus. By the way, it's commonly read, and you probably read it this way, as two commands. One negative, one positive, one negative. Here it is, two commands. 
Walk by the Spirit, it's the first command, it's a positive one, and don't gratify the desires of the flesh, a negative command. I put that little error up there to make sure that you're all paying attention. Two commands, do this, walk by the Spirit, don't do that, gratify the desires of the flesh. But in the original language, it's a command and and, and an indicative, which, which means it's this, it's command and a promise. Walk by the Spirit, that's the command, and promise, I promise you, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I promise you, says God, if you're walking by the Spirit, a consequence is that you won't end up doing whatever you want, defending it, promoting it, being in it. Heck no. So it begs the question, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit, and what does it mean to gratify the desires of the flesh? I want to walk by the Spirit, I want that, and I don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, now, many people see walk by the Spirit, and they think about that feeling of being close to God, those times when I'm really leaning in and close to Him. That could be in the morning when in the afternoon I'm not walking by the Spirit. I submit to you that this idea of walking by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit is less subjective than you think it is. It's not that you can walk in and out of being led by the Spirit from moment to moment. They're realms you live in with an upshot in your life. And many people look at gratified the desires of the flesh and they assume it's sexual in some way. The desires of the flesh must be sexual, surely. No, no. It has a much wider meaning than this about desire, any sort of desires that capture the soul. And so these two, they're, they're two realms to live in, not moments to drop in and out of. Now, the reason you do what God wants and not whatever you want is that you understand the cosmic conflict, the battle between flesh and spirit. This is like the Harry Potter moment, although it's real. The flesh, meaning mere human arrogance and, 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 um, and desire, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh are on two sides of a war. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. If they weren't in conflict, you might do some things that are good and some things that are bad, be sort of generally moral sometimes, but get around it when things are tough. Now, these, this idea of humans against God, it's the cosmic battle, so that you're not to do whatever you want to do. But let's be clear, you're still free. If you are led by the Spirit, you live in that realm, you are not under law. This is not about the yoke of law. Led by the Spirit is a phrase that means all followers of Jesus, not some who are led by the Spirit and others who aren't really led. If you claim Christ, you are led by the Spirit. You're not under the flesh. And the upshot of all of this is simple. If you're a Christian, live like one. Walk the walk. It's as simple as that. You're in the realm of the Spirit. Live that way and let that which is within you bubble up. So two truths from this thesis, verses 19 to 24. First, there is a slavery that looks to some like, like freedom, but it's actually a slavery, and it's a problem. That's in verses 19 to 21, the acts of the flesh. It's a slavery, even though at first glance it looks like freedom. And secondly, there's a freedom, and it really is a freedom, but it looks to some like slavery, like you wouldn't want to touch it. And that's the fruit of the Spirit in 22 to 24, and then I'll draw some implications. I saw this tweet last week. It's from the Lord's Prayer, 
my will be done, as in I want to do what I want to do, sounds like freedom, because you get to do what you want to do, leads to slavery. Thy will be done, as in God's will done, sounds like slavery, because you've got to follow somebody else's will, but it actually leads to freedom. That's a good summary of the talk. First, there's a slavery that looks to some like freedom, because you get to do what you want. But Paul says, basically, how's that working for you? Really? He outlines what it looks like if you do life according to the flesh, if you live in that realm, if as you, you know, this is, you know, this is Adam in the Garden of Eden, you know, take the fruit, don't want to let God determine what is right and wrong. I'm free to do what I want any old time. It's Adam, it's fleshly, of the earth. Paul pointed to the Greco-Roman world then, which is pretty debauched. He writes this, the acts or the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, that's the porneia word related to all sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, there's the temper. Selfish ambition, that's being curved in on self. Dissensions and factions, power plays, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, etc., etc. <laughs> I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but you sort of look at a list like that and you think, that's not me. I've got to tell you, at 4.30, 4 o'clock, just one hour ago, this guy pipes up in the middle of this sermon, right here. You guys are too urbane. He's wandered in late. He sits on row three, right where Bromman currently is, but down at the Garrison Church. And he just says, I have lived this way. I have. And he talks for about three minutes. He's just got out of jail. He's an alcoholic. His wife left him. He's got a kid. His parents have said, you can stay with me. So he's homeless, 40 years old. But he said, the parents said, you can't come home if you're drunk. So he says, I suppose I'll find a uh, hostel tonight. He says all of this publicly in the meeting. Here I am thinking, you know, we're a bunch of urbane people who can't imagine ourselves in this category. And some guy says, that's me. I love real moments, by the way, like that. And if you want to interrupt me, feel very free to say so. Because you might look at this like this and think, actually, some of it resonates. It's pretty moving. Fred Nile sent him. <laughs> he was outside and Fred Nile was in the, you know, the member of parliament. <laughs> and the guy says, my life's a wreck. And Fred and his wife say, well, I can tell you right now, this is church service at 4 p.m. You need to get yourself to church. It's like Blues Brothers. Get yourself to church. And he turns up. <laughs> a few things. First, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And this guy knew it, by the way. They're obvious, not hidden below in motives, you know, in like good people who are like, although they do bubble up from within, they're obviously against God and anybody who follows Jesus knows they're wrong. I've got to try to defend them. Second, what is not obvious to some is that there's a warning that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a surprise, by the way, if you think that God is a puppy dog who sits on the lap of every person who asks him to sit and just, you know, what do dogs do? They pant, you know. They're 
Is God like that? No. I warn you, as I did before. You live like this? No, it's not that you can't do these things. People do do these things. Followers of Jesus do these things. But they live like this. This is the thing they defend. This is the thing they, they do. This is the thing they shout. They don't come to church and go, you know, yeah, I need once again to come begging for forgiveness for my life. They say, this is the world that I live in. Tom Wright says this. He says, there will, more or less by definition, be no room in God's eschatological future the, the, at his appearing. No room in God's future for behaviours of the type listed here. So if you want to be part of the thing God has for the future, the renewal of all things, you've got to start checking those behaviours. Jesus died to deal with those sins in our lives. That's what that one John reading before we confess our sins was all about. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. He took my sin to the tomb and he dealt with it fully and finally there so I can stand up in confidence, forgiven. Praise God. So if you do what you want, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus says you'll still be in your sins. In other words, facing the full fury of the wrath of God. Jesus had a word for such a, a future. He called, it, he called it Gehenna in the Greek. In the English, Hell. If you're still in your sins, don't be found still in your sins. Third, these behaviors are from below. They're ironically, they're of the flesh, but they're anti-human. This is one of the great ironies of living life according to Adam or of the flesh. And they are varied. Some of them seem pretty base to suburban types, good types. Um, you might say they're of the flesh and they, the list begins with what you might call behaviours, sexual immorality, things you do, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. You have to move your body out to do those things. And it ends with drunkenness and orgies, right? Um, things that you do. You might say, when was the last orgy you took part of? And I'm going to guess that for a lot of you, the answer is never. It's very Australian, by the way, and I find it very ironic to say that it's very Australian to have what they call a big night. You have a big night? I had a big night. I'm going out on Saturday night. It's going to be a big night. It pains me to say that a big night is, an alcohol is a night fueled with alcohol. I'll tell you what a big night is. To realise that your neighbour is in great need and to sacrifice what it is that you're doing to go and serve them in love. I call that a big night. But six of them in the middle are things from the heart, things we could all do. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, temper, selfish ambition, curved in on self, dissensions and factions, and envy. Any one of us might do these things. They're all power plays. Unchecked temper is a power play. A sense of entitlement over the life of another, it's a power play creating one group in order to win over another, to destroy another, dissensions and factions, all power plays. You live like this, in other words, you defend it, you're okay about it, you don't want to bring it to God and ask for forgiveness, left to your own devices, you'll do what you want, it's not thy will be done, but my will be done. That guy, I want to be captain of my own soul, free to do what I want. On his way out, he said he was quite thankful for the morals uh, the Christian values that he was given, that he said was a set of goalposts that he appreciated, some boundary markers. I said to him, the truth is, if you walk away from Jesus Christ, you don't get the morals, you don't get anything. 
You're left with nothing. I said, I'll tell you why. Because you call them boundary markers instead of goalposts to live. But in the end, if you walk away from Jesus and therefore forgiveness and therefore the ability to actually bring your sins before God, what you're left with is a set of boundary markers so that if you are doing the right thing, you're kicking goals, you can pat yourself on the back and say, I'm kicking goals. But when things get really complicated, you can just move the goalposts, as people do. I said to him, you didn't get the morals, you got nothing. The truth is, he went out and did what he wanted, and some of it very good and um, sacrificial and vocational, some of it quite selfish, and some of it destructive. In the end, it looks like freedom. After all, it's your own moral code. You chose it. But Paul says it doesn't work. And Israel proved it in the Old Testament. They had the law. They couldn't keep it. They didn't have the new heart needed. Uh, they had the law. They delighted in it, couldn't keep it. That led to death and exile. They needed a redemption and a new heart promise in Ezekiel 36. What the Torah couldn't do, God did by sending his son. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 and 8. And Paul's argument there and in Galatians is that the day of redemption has come. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Everything's changed. He's given us his spirit. Don't go back to slavery. Live free lives. Freedom to serve, be a slave of one another in love. So there's a freedom, secondly, that looks to some like slavery. Right? Remember the... Did I get it? No, I didn't get it. That's all right. The tweet looks like slavery, leads to... Looks like slavery to some, but actually leads to freedom. And here's what freedom looks like. It looks like you're a tree planted by streams of water, the agriculture of the soul. That's Psalm 1. A tree planted by streams of water doing what it's supposed to do, be nourished and flourishing and drawing nourishment from where it's supposed to draw nourishment from. The fruit of the Spirit, the activity of God in your life, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, oh, for nine weeks, exploring each of these. By the way, if you want these cards, then go to your weekly email, which you got from me on Friday, that you all read, all two of you, Malcolm and Robert Champion at 9.30. Go back and have a look at it, and click on the link to the work of Lara Beeston. Lara is an artist in the western suburbs of Sydney, and she produces these beautiful cards. You throw 40 bucks. She sends them to you, you buy a little rack, and you put them as pride of place in your home. Note a few things. Firstly, fruit is singular. It's not fruit to the Spirit any more than it's the Grand Canyons. My seven-year-old daughter calls it the Grand Canyons, and I wince. There are wince when I hear the book of Revelations or fruits of the Spirit. Paul chose the singular. Fruit of the Spirit comes with his nine attributes. Tom Wright says this, there is an important point to be made about the contrast of the plural works of the flesh and the singular fruit of the Spirit. The flesh produces a miscellany of bad behaviours linked only by their destructive tendencies. The fruit, singular, comes as a package. You need the whole lot. One may not plead the necessity of specialization, 
selecting, say, kindness and gentleness, because after all, you're a good guy, while leaving behind faithfulness and self-control. You can't say, I'm a gentle person, so I fold under pressure. You can't say, I'm good at, my jo- I'm good at joy, I'm happy, but I lack self-control. All of this is happening if you walk by the Spirit. Note, Paul says, against such things, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, against such things there is no law. Nobody sat down in a legislative chamber and said, let's make a law against kindness. Let's make it illegal to be kind. Oh, with it, why don't we make it a law to have no joy? By the way, some despots in the past, Puritans, have attempted to legislate against these things. But Paul makes the point, nobody does that. These things, it's not about legislation. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about the activity of God in your life. We're talking about love and kindness. And this is all fruit from above. Lastly, Paul says those who belong to Christ aren't guided by legislation. He says something has happened when Christ went to the tomb. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you belong to Christ, something has happened to you when Jesus Christ went to the cross. He took your sins there to the tomb and he dealt with them there. He took the old you all the way to the tomb and him dead He killed off the old person and he came up out of the tomb alive in a new life. He brought me with him and gave me a new heart and left my old ways behind in the tomb with Jesus. Therefore, I have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I've said I'm not interested in defending them. That's what a follower of Jesus says. So lastly, some implications. Lewis Mere Christianity wrote, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that though Christianity seems at first to be about all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt, and virtue, seems like a slavery, yet it leads you on out of all of them into something beyond. It leads you to a divine agriculture of the soul. So Paul says, if you want to live this way, If you live by the Spirit, let us, if you walk by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, with pride eating away at your ability to love. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Let's live the free life being offered in Christ. It is, after all, ironically, the human way to live from above and liberating. Why do we pursue the good we pursue, why do we avoid the bad things we know are wrong? In the end, it's not duty or habit or fear or even love or not thankfulness. Although All those things are a part of it. The answer is those who are in Christ are moved by God's Spirit. They're animated, shaped, and over time, we cooperate with God. We choose to follow Jesus, and the Spirit does His thing in our life. I think one of the unique things about Christianity is the promise of the activity of God in your life. He breathes life into Adam, flesh. He promises to fill you with his spirit. This is why works of the law are no good. 
That's why circumcision counts for nothing. Circumcision doesn't do the internal thing. It only leads to exile. God does the internal thing by giving you a new heart. And fruit is the right metaphor. It really is. Fruit happens when a seed is planted in soil, the tree grows, and sunlight and water are applied. The seed is the gospel of Jesus, the powerful message, the word about God, and God provides rain, sunlight. I love what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not, do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, in the same way that rain comes down from heaven, so my word goes out from my mouth, says God. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it, saith the Lord. What is the purpose for which he sent his word? To grow fruit in your life. And the sunlight and water are not our own effort, but the Spirit of God alive in your life. It is ongoing. It takes time. It takes a lifetime. So we pray. We ask God to do his thing. We seek him together. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. More on that next week. We ask him how we can be slaves of each other in love. So choose tonight to align yourself to God, to walk by the Spirit, to watch him do his thing, pouring the sunlight and water of the Spirit in Christian community on the seed in your heart, that you might be a tree planted by streams of water. In the end, to walk by the Spirit is not only to be humanly healthy, it is what it means to be Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray along with, with uh, the saints of old when we say, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Tonight we choose the freedom of walking by the Spirit, of knowing you and allowing you to shape and transform our lives. We ask you to save us from the slavery of works of the flesh. Um, it, it's held out to us like, like Adam's fruit, as, as good, as, as something which perhaps you're withholding from us, this life that we want to live on our own, by our own steam, and we just ask you to save us from, from such a slavery and grant us instead the freedom of the Son of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.